And that's Matthew 8, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And then, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. The scripture that Stephen just read is, is the text for this morning, but some of what we'll talk about today comes from the other stories that are just like this in Scripture. Uh, there in Mark chapter 4 or Luke chapter 8, uh, also tell this same story, and they tell it from a couple of different perspectives, so we'll use a little bit um, from all three of those different stories this morning, Matthew 8, Mark 4, and and Luke chapter 8. Before we do that, though, um, as I was thinking through this this process, the best analogy that came to me as I was thinking through was was uh, when I, as many of you know, I like to ride bike. I, I, I enjoy uh, getting out and, and riding my bike for a number of miles and, and just being alone and getting that time all by myself on the bike. I, I've, these last couple of years have really gotten to enjoy that. And just this just happened to me last week, but it's, it's happened a number of times, but, but it was pretty vivid to me from last week. I was riding um, here on the Warner Road, and, uh, and I don't like to ride my, my road bike on the gravel, so I drive my pickup to a place, and I park my pickup, and then I just ride on the pavement. And so I was riding back uh, from, from our Bible study in Warner. I was coming home, and I could see the sun was shining on my pickup, which was about eight miles away. And... Uh, and I could see it, and the sun was on it, and it was super bright, and I thought, that's, that's my destination. I mean, that, there it is. But I, I was eight miles away. And in those eight miles, it wasn't just a steady, flat road, even though it sometimes seems like it when you're driving. It's not a steady, flat road when you're on your bike. There's, there's lots of ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs in, that, in those eight miles. And I was just really struck by it that day that here I am, I'm, I'm on the top of this hill, I can see my, I can see my pickup there. And that's where I want to be. But before I get there, I'm going to have a few ups and downs, ups and downs. And, and you'll know today as you head home, if you drive down the Warner Road, you'll think, what's he talking about? There's not very many ups and downs. Um, I just would say, get on your bike and try it. There's more than you think. Um, and there's really not very many compared to other places in America. Um, but I think that's, that's the story of the Gospels. That there's, there's, there's an ultimate destination that, that Jesus is trying to take his disciples, and, and not just his disciples in the, old, in the New Testament, but, but all of us. There's this ultimate destination that we're going to get to, and we, and we kind of have an idea of what it looks like. There's a picture of it way out there, but, and, and it looks like it's going to be smooth sailing to get there, but it's not. There's all of these ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs to get to that final destination. That's... That's where we get the disciples, right here. When they come to this story in Matthew and in Luke and in Mark, this story of climbing into the boat and getting out, setting out onto the Sea of Galilee, um, there's some ups and downs. And they're about to see a down. They're about to see a storm. That's where we pick up this story. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been teaching, in fact, in Matthew, in, in chapter 8, the verse that 
that Pastor Stephen read, if you just flip a couple chapters before that, one chapter before that, you see that Jesus has been, do, has been preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the, the longest message that we have from Jesus, his main teaching that comes in those chapters, he's been, he's been sharing that, and people are listening and hearing and, and following. People are buying into what Jesus has to share. And, and there's a number of different kinds of buy-ins for that, and we're not going to talk about all that this morning, but there's a lot of people that are now following him, and there's a lot of people coming to him. And, the, and Jesus now is not just teaching, but, but right before this happens, uh, there's a couple of healings where Jesus heals some physical needs. And so there's a, a large crowd of people that are gathered. And they come right up, they kind of get backed up right to the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a large number of people there. And Jesus is, is spending um, all day, maybe, a, maybe several days, speaking to them, sharing with them, teaching them, healing them. And Jesus is wiped out. And so um, he tells the disciples, let's get in this boat and let's paddle onto the other side. Instead of walking there around the edge of the sea, let's jump in this boat and we'll paddle to the other side. That's where we pick up the story right here in Matthew chapter 8. Now let's, let me tell you a little bit about the boat as we jump into the story. This boat was a typical fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. It was probably about, from what, from what historians can tell us, it was probably maybe 27 feet long, 8 feet wide. It had, had a mast with a sail in the middle. It could hold probably about 15 men could ride on it. Um, there would have been a number of these boats in that area right there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. But all of the disciples, the 12 of them plus Jesus, would have been able to jump right into this boat. There's a little area on the back. You can see in the picture there or the drawing, there's a little area on the back that would have been uh, reserved for the honored guest. Um, if you read in, in Matthew, or uh, sorry, in Mark, uh, this same passage of Scripture, Mark will tell us that that's where Jesus was. He was, he was in the helm, he was in the back, and he, in fact, he had a pillow it tells us, and he was sleeping um, in the back of the boat. He was the honored guest on the boat, and he would have been sleeping on a pillow in the back. All 12 disciples and Jesus would have been gathering in here. Um, there would have been some oars so that they could paddle if the wind wasn't there, but they mostly would have tried to use the sail. And Jesus says to them, all right, let's get in the boat and sail to the other side. Now, as you know, you know the history of the disciples. Some of them were tax collectors and, and had other jobs, but several of them were fishermen. So this would have been a pretty normal, typical, everyday experience for them. And I can only guess, as, you, as, as we know the rest of the story, I can only guess that there was probably a part of the fishermen as they looked around and they saw the current weather conditions that maybe, just maybe, they had to think, I'm not sure if getting in the boat is the best idea. They probably, they were experienced fishermen. They had to, they had to at least begin to know that, that, and we'll talk about this in a second, the storms could come quickly, but there had to at least be a couple of things that would give them some indicators that something might happen. These are pretty experienced fishermen. They would have looked around and said, I'm just not sure. But, but the Bible tells us that they jumped in. They all got in. They all got in the boat. It's a pretty key point, I think, for this whole story. Is that Jesus says, get in the boat, and they do. They all jump in. They're all loyal. They all do exactly what, they all follow exactly the instructions that Jesus had for them. They had faith, maybe even if, if the conditions didn't look right, they had faith that Jesus says, this is what we're to do, and so we're going to do it. They were loyal. One of the things that, that would be true about my personality 
is that I, I would see myself and feel like I am a loyal lieutenant. I, if someone tells me to do it, I am most likely am going to do what they've told me to do, especially someone uh, like a boss or a, or a parent. Um, I've always been the firstborn pleaser. I'm going to follow the instructions all the way to the end. I mean, it's not just true in those regards. It, it would be things like um, if the manufacturer made it this way to be used and designed this way, that's the way I'm going to use it um, because they must have had a better idea than anything that I would have. Some of you, I know, are not that way. You see things and you say, why would they do it this way? And you tear it apart and you redesign it and you figure out some other way. That's not me. I say they made it this way for a reason. It's supposed to work the way that I want it to work, and so I'm going to make it work just the way that they designed it. Um, I'm loyal to a fault lots of times in that way. That's the picture I have of the disciples right here. Jesus said, get in the boat, and so they got in the boat. They were following the instructions that had come from their leader. And then, as you know, the rest of the story, there's a, there's a huge storm that comes. And I have to guess that there was a, some time in there when the storm is going and the waves are crashing on the boat and the boat is going to go under. And, there, and there's times where the disciples, some of them are probably like some of you, and they're saying, what are we thinking? This storm, we should, we should get back to where we just came from. We should get back to the shore and, and we should... And there's some other disciples that are like me. They're saying, you know what? Jesus told us to get in the boat. He told us to paddle the other side, and so we're going to do it. And we're going we're gonna to listen to the instruction, and we're just going to trust that we have to get to the other side. I think that's the battle that was going on probably with some of the disciples, and it's at least in their heads. Sometimes for us, when we get in the middle of, of a storm, whatever that storm might be in your life, but you get in the middle of a storm— Sometimes there's some confusion because, because we say, you know what? We were positive. We were positive that this is exactly what God told us to do. This is exactly what we were told to do. This is exactly the will that we were told to follow. We, we spent lots of time, before we made this decision, we spent lots of time praying about it. We spent lots of time looking for signs. We spent lots of time asking people for advice. We, we did our due diligence to get to this place, and now everything's blown up. Now there's this huge storm and everything's crashing in around us and nothing feels right and we're, and, and we're risking our own lives. And sometimes we just need to sit back and say, you know what? The instruction was pretty clear. The instruction was clear. God's will was clear for us and we need to follow through. There's a lot of times we lose sight of where and whom we got the instructions from when we're in the middle of the storm. I'm sure the disciples were in that same boat. As you can read, the disciples are told by Jesus, jump in the boat. And as they do and as they float off, the storm arises. The Sea of Galilee was probably about, is, is about 13 miles north to south and, and about 8 miles east to west. And the Jordan River flows through it from from the north side to the south side. It's what would make that sea there. Um, it's bigger than a lake, smaller than an ocean. Um, and it would have been a main place of trade during these Bible times, during Jesus' time. It sits 684 feet below sea level. But just to the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. 
So if you can begin to get that, that distance. And the winds come from the north. They come over the mountaintop from, from Mount Hermon and they come down over the mountain and they come in, then into that Galilee Sea Basin that's well below sea level. And the much warmer air that comes from that sea level mixes with the cooler air that comes over Mount Hermon and they all come together right at that vortex, right on the Sea of Galilee. And so storms come up and they come up often and they come up frequently and they come up without much notice. And so as I mentioned, I think there was probably some, some, the disciples probably had some inkling that maybe something would happen, but they did, historians tell us, come up, and they still come up to this day quickly without much notice, and it can be pretty, pretty rough and pretty violent and pretty ferocious. That's exactly what happened here in this story. In fact, the, the word that is used in the original text is um, the storm that would have happened was seismos. Um, that would be the idea that that's the root word for seismology or a seismograph or, or really for an earthquake or the study of earthquakes or that's the kind of storm that would have been brewed up here. It wasn't just small waves crashing against the bottom of the boat. This would have been an earthquake-like storm that the disciples were a part of. And the storm is crashing on the boats and the disciples are there and they're probably beginning to get worried. And the story tells us, where is Jesus? He's asleep on the back of the boat with a pillow laying in the back of the boat. Now the only way that I can really understand this, the only way that it makes sense to me is, is what I would call trucker sleep. This is, this is, I tell Jenny, this is the best sleep that I ever have in all of my days. It's when you drive a long, long ways. Maybe it's not always a long ways, but you drive and you drive and your eyelids get super, super heavy and you're really super tired. And finally you come to a spot where you can pull off to the side of the road or you come to a rest area and you're so tired and you don't do anything. You just pull off, you shut the car off and you grab the lever of your seat and you just fall back and you trucker sleep. You just are instantly out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That is the best, most awesome sleep until it's not. You, you, you pass out, you're asleep, and maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's a half an hour. Maybe if, if you've been going a long time, maybe you can sleep an hour. And then all of a sudden, it is not the best sleep anymore. You, you understand what I'm saying? You, you wait, you're like, what am I doing here? This is horrible. I need to get on the road. And it's horrible. But, but for a moment there, it's the best sleep ever, and you can't do anything to stop it. You just grab the lever of your seat and you truck or sleep. I think that's what happened to Jesus. I think Jesus gets on the boat. He's been, he's been working with all these people. He's been teaching. He's been, he's been healing. And he gets in the boat and he just conks out. He just passes out. He just trucker sleeps right on the back of the boat. And he's just instantly out. That's the only way that I can make sense of this outside of the only other alternative to me is that Jesus is laying on the back of the boat pretending that he's asleep because he wants to teach the disciples a lesson. I mean, because those are the only two things that can really happen. Either you're conked out, gone, or you're pretending. You just have your eyes closed and you crack one open every once in a while to see if they're really learning the lesson you want them to learn. I don't think that's the story here. Jesus is conked out, passed out, sleeping in the back, trucker sleeping because he's worn out. And that's a key part to this story. It's a key part to the story because it shows us that Jesus is just like us. 
that Jesus is human, that there's a human part to Jesus, we have to understand both of those, those things, that Jesus is human and that Jesus is godlike, that Jesus is divine. Both of those things are going to happen back to back instantly right here in this story. Jesus conks out because he's tired. He has to trucker sleep on the back and the waves are crashing over him and he's got to be soaked. He's got to be wet. The disciples are yelling. There's got to be all kinds of loud wind and waves. It's, it's got to be chaos. And Jesus is asleep with his head on a pillow, conked out, tired. Jesus is human. See, Scripture's pretty clear that God does not sleep. God never slumbers. There's never a time where he gets too tired. There's never a time where God has to just grab the thing on the chair and conk out backwards. There's never a time where he was just dozing. There's never a time where God falls asleep. He's always awake. He's always up. He's always watching over us. Nothing ever catches him off guard. There's lots of times where we think maybe he's missed it. There's lots of times where we probably say, where are you, God, in this? Did you not see what was happening to me? Are you looking somewhere else? Did you fall asleep? There's times in our life where we feel that to be true, but the scripture is very clear. The Lord never sleeps, never slumbers. The psalmist makes it most clear probably in Psalm 121. The Lord watches over Israel. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is always awake. And yet Jesus, right here, proves to us that he's just like us. That he's a human, that he's a person. That everything that we feel, he feels. That everything that we experience, he experiences. That, that, that there's times that we have to put the seat back and truck or sleep. And there's times that Jesus has to conk out on the back of the boat. No matter what's happening around him. And he has to go to sleep. He has to rest. It's 100% exactly like us. He's human. So the storm comes. It's crashing against the boat. It's like an earthquake. There's all this, all the wind, all the rain. And... And I think the disciples are, are doing everything they can. I think they're working their tails off to try to get to, to follow Jesus' instructions and try to get to the other side. Several of them, as I mentioned, were fishermen. They would have been experienced with boats. They would have knew their way around. They would have known exactly what was happening. They would have been trying all the different things, trying to put the sail on the right side and maybe get the oars out and, and do everything they can to make sure the boat didn't tip over. And Matthew, the tax collector, probably is just sitting there crying, thinking, what is going on? I'm an office worker. But they would have done everything they could. They would have done everything they can to keep the boat upright. They're bailing water out of the boat. And they finally come to the point. They finally come to the point where they just say, there's there's nothing else for us to do. There's nothing else for us to do. We've tried everything that we can do. And... This boat is going down, and we're going to perish. We're going to die right here in the Sea of Galilee. And so they come to their final, last ditch. We don't know what else we're going to do effort. In fact, in fact, as I think through this story, I think they maybe, maybe even came to Jesus, not because they, not because they were coming to him to wake him up so that they that he would save them. I think that's sometimes how we read it, that they, they don't know where else to go, and so they wake up Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, you're our last-ditch effort. We need you to save us. Part of me thinks that they were waking up to say, 
it's going over. Grab your life jacket. We're going to have to swim. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they were exactly waking him up because he was their Superman. I think they were waking him up to say, we're about to jump off. But they got to the place where they didn't have anything else to do. They didn't know what else to do. There was nothing that they could do on their own to save themselves. There's a story, as I read through some commentaries about this this week, there was a story about a, an old fisherman who, who was, was an atheist. He didn't believe anything about God and was pretty proud of it. And the story goes that he fell overboard on his boat and, and was about to drown and his men were trying to rescue him and they heard him from the boat. They heard him cry out, God, save me in this moment. And they threw the life raft out to him and, and brought him back on board. And when they brought him on board, they, they, they said, this is what we heard, that you had cried out to God to save you. We didn't think you believed in God. And his response was, well, if there ever was a God, that would be the time that I would need him. And I think that's what is happening to the disciples. They, they, not that they don't know that there's a God, but that they, they know there is absolutely nowhere else to go. That there has to be another way for them to be saved. And they come to this moment and they're waking up Jesus. And they have an understanding of their need that they have a desperate need to be rescued. And in fact, maybe aren't going to be rescued and are going to have to jump overboard And so they come to Jesus. And they say to him, and if you read it in those different passages, each one is a little bit different, but basically they say to Jesus, save us, we're going to die. Save us, we're going to perish. In fact, one of them, there's a question in one of those passages saying, don't you even understand that we're going to die? That we're going to perish? They understood their desperate need in the midst of the storm and they came to Jesus the one who ultimately we know on this side of the storm is going to save them sometimes in the storms that we have in our life that's exactly how we have to finally get to we have to get to that point where we just say there's absolutely nothing else I can do there's this huge storm that's overwhelming for me and it's, it's crashing in on the boat and I've, I've bailed water as long as I can and I've tried to fix the sail and I've done everything that I know how to do. And now there's nothing left for me and so I cry out in desperation and say, Jesus, save me. There's nowhere else for me to go. There's nothing else for me to do. I don't think we need to jump there too quickly. The disciples didn't. I think they did everything that they could. I think they did everything humanly possible to try to rescue themselves. I think they did everything they could to fix the boat, to fix the problem, to survive the storm. I think they did everything that they could, and then at the end they finally say, Jesus, we're perishing. Save us. Sometimes we have to do everything we can. Sometimes there's work for us to do. Sometimes there's jobs that we need to accomplish that we give up on too quickly. Sometimes we have to work. But lots of times there's places where we just say, Jesus, save us. We're going to die. And then we come to Jesus, his response. Jesus has woken up to utter and complete chaos. 
As he finally comes to, he's on the back of the boat. When he finally comes to, the waves are crashing. He's probably soaked. The waves are crashing in on the boat. And the disciples are, are at despair. They think they're going to die. They think there's no way out for them. There's no rescue for them. There's no hope for them. There's nothing for them to do. And there is chaos reigning all over the situation as Jesus wakes up. For a long time, as I heard this story, or as I grew up knowing this story, I, I think I probably thought of it like the disciples go to Jesus, and he wakes up, and he kind of just laughs at him a little bit and says, oh, you guys thought this was a big deal. Just quiet down, storm. It's no big deal. I don't think that's what happened here. I think as Jesus woke up and the chaos was reigning in the hearts and the minds of the disciples and, it, and, and, and also, not just in the hearts and minds of the disciples, but, but actually in nature, as it's crashing down on the boat, I think Jesus feels all of that. He obviously senses what the disciples are saying. We're going to die. He senses the chaos that's going on inside of them. But he obviously also sees the chaos that's reigning all around the boat. The disciples, I think, knew from Scripture, from Old Testament Scripture, that God could save them. In fact, I'd like you to turn this morning to Psalm 107. There's a couple of places in Scripture where where the disciples would have known, they would have been familiar with these passages And in fact, in Psalm 107, I want you to see it for yourself in Psalm 107. Exactly what the disciples may have been thinking. Jesus says to the disciples, as soon as he wakes up, the first thing he says is, Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Don't you know that this has been happening for a lot of years. Not necessarily the storms right here on the Sea of Galilee, but those have been happening for a long time too. But for a long time, people, my people, have believed in me and I have rescued them. I think Jesus is saying, why are you afraid? Here's a story in Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. This is a story that would have happened to the Israelites early on. But as you read it, you'll see we're in the same story here in Matthew chapter 8. In Psalm 107 in verse 23, we read this. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to their depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled, they staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them up to their desired haven. The disciples would have known that story. Probably word for word. They would have known other passages in Scripture, like Psalm 46, where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge. 
So Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And I think he's saying not only, why are you afraid? Because you know these truths from the Old Testament. You know this story from Psalm 107. You know that God has done exactly what we know is about to happen in this storm. That God, in the middle of the storm, hushed everything and quieted it and calmed it. He says, you know that that's happened. Why are you afraid? But I think he also is saying to them, you know me. We just got on the boat. You just heard me teaching. You just heard me preaching. You just saw me. You just saw me healing people. You saw, you saw that I know what they need and that I have compassion to meet their need. Jesus says, you saw me and you know me. Why are you afraid? Why why do you have such little faith? Why do you not understand who I am and what I'm here for? Why are you afraid? Haven't you seen enough to believe that you're safe with me? Haven't you seen enough to know that I have the power to help and heal and rescue and save? Haven't you seen enough to know that not only do I have the power to help, but I also have the compassion to do so? Haven't you seen enough to know that even if you perish, you'll spend eternity in heaven? Why are you afraid? And so, the waves are crashing on the boat. The disciples are crying out, we're going to die. Jesus says, why are you afraid? And all of this is happening all at once. And everything is, is culminating in this super chaotic moment. And Jesus then cries out three words, and he says, Peace, be still. And with that word, all of the chaos that is culminating in that moment instantly dies. wind stops blowing. The waves stop crashing. The hearts of the men who are in despair all of a sudden realize they're rescued and they're saved. Everything stops at the sound of his voice. Peace be still. Think about that moment. Think about how different it would have been for the disciples as they sat in that boat. They just said, we're going to die. They were at their wit's end. They had done everything that they could do. They were at the very end of their rope. They were waking Jesus up because they were getting ready to bail. And Jesus says, peace, be still, and everything stops. So we read through the passage. We read what their response was, what they said, how they have both, now they both marvel and fear. Who is this man who controls even the wind and the waves? But as I think through the story, and I think as you are thinking through the story, maybe even now, you have to think, it's quiet. 
The wind has stopped instantly. The waves have stopped instantly. Not just a gradual letdown, I don't think. Peace, be still, and it stopped. And I don't know how they responded. I don't think that they turned to each other and gave each other high fives like their team had just scored a touchdown. They might, I don't know. They might have. I think there, another possibility might have been that they giggled like schoolgirls because you know what it feels like when you come this close to almost dying and you get to the other side and all of that adrenaline and all that stuff is built up in you. You know how you feel and, and, and you just giggle. I could see that being some of what happens to the disciples. That could be a possibility. I don't think so, though. I think the waves stop, the wind stops, everything is perfectly calm, and the boat is just sitting there. And I think the disciples are dead quiet because they cannot fathom what they just saw. They can't comprehend how it could go from this to that instantly. And I don't know how the story plays out from there. It tells us that they marvel, that they're amazed, that they're fearful. All three authors kind of have a different perspective of exactly what happened to the disciples. It seems to me that they're probably standing there, getting ready to jump overboard because they know they're going to die. Everything stops. And they just are still. And I don't think they want to break that calmness. I don't think they want to break that quiet. I don't think they want to say anything. In fact, I suspect that probably at some point someone sits down and grabs an oar and just begins to row to the other side. Because they don't know what else to do. Here's the deal for the disciples. They're amazed and they marvel. Just as lots of other places in Scripture tell us about every time that someone comes into the presence of the Lord or every time that someone sees the divinity of God, which is what would have happened with the disciples here. They've seen Jesus sleeping, trucker sleeping on the back of the boat, and now all of a sudden he has stood up and said, I not only am human like you, but I am God. I control the wind and the waves at the sound of my voice. They stop. They've come face to face, the disciples have come face to face with the divinity of, God, of Jesus. They know they are in the presence of God, and just like all through Scripture where people come face to face with the presence of God, I think they are in awe, they are in fear, they are scared, and that they rejoice in it all at the same time. But for the disciples, as they get to the other side, the storm is not over. Now the wind isn't blowing and the waves aren't crashing on the boat anymore and they've made it to dry land, but you know what happens, right, as soon as they get to the other side? If you read ahead, you'll know 
right? As soon as they get to the other side, all of a sudden here is a demon-possessed man or two demon-possessed men, depending on where you read. Right away, they're faced with Satan at work in the lives of men, and the storm isn't over. It's not always calm from there on out. They paddled across the rest of the, of the sea and everything was perfectly still and all the only way they could get there was with their oar. And they were quiet. They had seen God at work. And then they get there, they get to the other side and it's not peaceful, it's not perfect, it's not calm anymore. Two raging demon-possessed lunatics come and confront the disciples and confront Jesus right when they get to the other side. There's ups and downs. There's ups and downs. I can only imagine what they were feeling in that moment. They had this crazy storm. They thought they were going to die. It was perfectly calm and they thought they were rescued and everything was fine. And now all of a sudden it's and they're going up and down, up and down. The confidence had to be high because they knew that God could do anything. They knew that Jesus had done what he had just done by calming the sea. But at the same time, they were confused by the face of the devil on the other side. Why does all of this matter to us today? That's really a question I had to come to this week. Why does it matter that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was in a boat on a sea in the Middle East, long way from here, and he calmed the storm and saved the disciples. Why does that matter to us today? What difference does that make to you and I? I think there's three things that we want to take from this today. And I've said it already. I think this picture, this story gives us a great picture of who Christ was. That he was entirely human, sleeping on the back of the boat, and yet totally divine, controlling the wind and the waves. That he can and will save us in our time of desperate need. That he also, the call that he gives to the storm, I think he chose his words when he when he stands and the waves are crashing on the storm and the disciples are freaking out and waking up Jesus and say, we're all going to die. I think when he says, peace, be still, I don't think that call was just to the waves and the wind. I think the call, peace, be still, was to the disciples as well. I think he was saying to their hearts, to their soul, calm down, cool it. I can do this. I can fix this. I have the ability and the compassion to rescue you. And that call is the same for us today. Peace, be still. I can do this. I have done this. And that all the storms don't look the same. That's the third reason. That sometimes they come in wind and waves that crash on our boat, and sometimes they come like demon-possessed men that show up on the other side of the lake. That all of our storms don't look the same. Your storms don't look like my storms, and my storms don't look like yours. Some of our storms are much more ferocious and fierce than others. 
but the call is still the same. Peace, be still, I can rescue you. The call to us is, I have done it before, and I will do it again. I am more than able to rescue you. The worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us. We're going to sing a song together this morning. I don't know how you exactly you come in this moment. Maybe, maybe you're right at the front edge of the storm. You're, you're like the disciples who are, are looking ahead and you see that the conditions are ripe here and this might be bad. Or maybe you're right in the midst of the storm, the waves are crashing on your boat and you are, are at that place where you think there's nowhere else for me to go. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Or maybe, maybe the storm is over. You're paddling to the other side and you've been rescued and you've been saved and you're in that calm, that moment where you're not exactly sure what's coming. But you're afraid there might be something else on the horizon. There might be a demon-possessed man on the other side when you get there. No matter where you're at in that journey, no matter where you're at in your journey, the call is still the same, I think. Peace, be still. can rescue you. I can save you. With just a word, he does it. We sang this morning as we opened up the service, the song, Mighty Fortress is our God. He is our help and he is our refuge. One third verse in this song that we'll sing this morning says, there is one word that fells the devil. There's one word that fells him. Jesus with one word controls all things, calms the seas, calms the storms, and is our refuge and help. We're going to sing that together this morning. I'd like you to stand with me as we sing. Them abide. 
shows us over and over and over again that you have rescued your people. And God, you have, in times when the storm seems overwhelming, in times, God, when my sin seems overwhelming, you have provided a rescue. We know that rescue comes through the person of Christ. The one who said, peace, peace, Be still. And everything stopped. God, let us trust only in Christ. No matter where we are in our journey, no matter what storm is coming or what storm we're in, God, let us trust in you. The one who never slumbers, who never sleeps, who watches over all things, We can trust in you because of Jesus. And I pray that you will cause us to do that today. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.